My name is Jason Alexander, the star of Bedtime Stories of the Ingleside Inn, a brand new scripted comedy podcast in which I play Palm Springs hotelier Mel Haber, who in the 1970s turned the rundown Ingleside Inn into the best-kept secret getaway for Hollywood's elite thieves and mobsters. The series also stars Brian Jordan Alvarez, Michael McKean, Richard Kind, Lance Bass, and more. You can find Bedtime Stories of the Ingleside Inn on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. Well, it finally happened, folks. Ron DeSantis has declared he's officially running for president. Announcing his intent on Twitter spaces, he was trying to connect with a wider audience by pretending to be digitally savvy and inject a little informality into his stiff-necked image. But he could have made the announcement from on top of a waterbed piled high with wine coolers and a naked Matt Gates, and still not dent his Dudley Do-Right straight-jacketed personality. Not to mock the governor, but let's be fucking real here. The man exudes all the life force of a frozen cadaver. He gives every appearance of not particularly liking people, and that feeling has been reciprocated in the recent national polls as his numbers have peaked and tumbled down. Then there's the physical straitjacket he dons when he takes the podium or mingles with voters or even walks through crowds protected by his ultra-protective retinue. Dead-eyed and dour, looking like a serial killer with a bad case of diarrhea, DeSantis speaks a body language that always seems to be looking for an exit. And if no exit exists, he calms his demons by sparking some new senseless fight with the Disney Corporation. He's a walking cartoon, a fucking puppet of the anti-woke right who seek conspiracy in their Bud Light. If he becomes president, will the mouse house rank above or below China in his axis of evil? Will Bud Light be categorized as a weapon of mass destruction? Noting both his stiff-necked demeanor and his total avoidance of nonpartisan press, the reporters covering DeSantis have gathered these behavioral cues to sow the candidate a straitjacketed image, portraying him as a locked-up, frozen, and vengeful beast whose veins pump bile, not blood. He's now in a box likely for his entire 2024 campaign that will be difficult to break out of even for the most talented escape artist. And remember 2020 and the Al Gore is a personality deficient robot? Well, that's Ron DeSantis as well. But add evil and fucking creepy robot and you've got an inkling of what's going on here. Ron DeSantis is the bizarro Al Gore if Al Gore had played footsie with Nazis. Like many press portraits, this one may not be entirely fair. There could be a charming, fun dude underneath the hair shirt, a Republican Mr. Rogers who wants to be your friend and neighbor. Heh, <laughs> so I'm bullshitting you. Not a fucking chance here. Ron DeSantis looks and acts like the guy who called the cops on you in high school. 
He was likely the hall monitor, a fucking tattletale, and scold who was the subject of ridicule and bullying. I mean, we've all been paying the price for the fact that this guy couldn't get a date in high school. He's aloof, distant, as if nursing some integral grudge that only he knows. In the words of Ferris Bueller, Ron DeSantis is so tightly wound that if you shoved a lump of coal up his fucking ass in two weeks, it would turn into a diamond. DeSantis isn't the only presidential candidate reduced to an unflattering stereotype. Richard Nixon was quickly pegged by the press's slippery. Lyndon Johnson is scheming. Bill Clinton phony. George W. Bush stupid. It may be no consolation to DeSantis that the press has reduced him to a political mummy, wrapped tight in the white of his own hang-ups, but that's the way political journalism works. The candidate makes a face and the press describes it. The fact that his face looks like someone farted in the car and rolled up the windows is only one person's fault, and that's Ron fucking DeSantis's. Once the press typecasts a politician, Everything he does gets interpreted as new proof of his evil nature. Now that he's the evil nerd, the Florida man checking your mail for dirty magazines, he can barely yawn or wave to voters without being accused of being what he is. Anything he might attempt to counteract his image at this point, like tell jokes on Fox News, wear a funny hat that says honk if you're horny, go jogging in nut-hugging shorts, will do more to amplify the fact that he's grade-A fucking creepo with the retail political skills of a dead squirrel. Does he have any way out? Well, there's another recent candidate who was dressed by the press in unflattering garb who overcame the representation to win the presidency. And I'm referring to Donald Trump. According to a thousand news bulletins, Trump was a narcissistic bully, a misogynist, a racist, a xenophobe, a homophobe, Islamophobe, anti-Semite, a Putin toady, an authoritarian, a con man, a cheat, a liar, an egomaniac, a fucking fraud, and a sexist. But instead of contesting these nasty descriptions, well, Trump does what Trump does. He owned them. Oh sure, he tried to defend himself now and again by saying he was the least racist person in the room. But mostly the man did not give a flying fuck what you thought. That's beauty of being a psychopathic narcissist. Unfortunately, DeSantis seems to lack the preening self-regard possessed by Donald Trump. Instead, we see his self-loathing and it will ultimately be his downfall. The voters of Florida may like DeSantis, but Florida's filled with weirdos and perverts. I mean, perhaps Floridians need a hall monitor as chief executive. Someone to keep them from bathing with an alligator or feeding meth to a baby. But the rest of us here in this country, not so much. And now for the main event. My next guest on Mea Culpa returns to us from the wilds of Boca Raton, Florida. Lev Parnas. 
Lev is a Soviet-born businessman who, along with Rudy Kaludi, Drunken Giuliani, and Igor Fruman, played a central role in the campaign to pressure Ukraine to investigate Trump's political rivals, including Hunter Biden. Parnas was thrown into Trump's first impeachment drama, but he ended up working with federal prosecutors against Giuliani, as well as the former president. Parnas is currently serving a 20-month sentence for campaign finance, wire fraud, and false statement offenses, and is speaking to us today while on home confinement, something I know very well about. Lev is a truth-teller and unafraid to remember the things that most folks wish that he would forget. Well, sorry folks, but there's a hashtag that Parnas deploys that says it all. Lev remembers. What that means for Rudy Giuliani and the allegations against him from Noel Dunphy that include sexual assault as well as the selling of pardons could have problematic for America's former mayor. And then there's Ron DeSantis, who in typical Ron DeSantis fashion is trying to distance himself completely from the fact that he took a fuckload of money from Lev Parnas. Well, sorry, buddy, but Lev remembers. And more importantly, you guys need to hear what's going on. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Lev, let's start with the latest charges against Rudy Kaludi, drunken Giuliani, that involve sexual assault and a host of just really fucking ugly charges. So amongst them, Giuliani's accuser, Noel Dunphy, she claims that he was also selling pardons for $2 million plus. Dunphy's attorney claims that you were present. I mean, they actually claim that you, Lev, were present for these conversations. What can you tell me and my listeners about any of these allegations? And were you aware of Rudy's activities in regard to the selling of these pardons? I can tell you a lot of things, Michael. I mean, uh, I got a chance to read over Noel Dunphy's uh, uh, claims, and uh, there's a lot of claims there that I could definitely back up. Uh, I've spoken to her attorneys. I'm probably going to be a witness uh, if this ever goes to trial. Uh, to start off with, let's go into the pardons because that's the main things everybody's worried wants to know. And uh, the one thing I could tell you is I never heard an exact dollar figure, the two million dollar figure. But I could tell you that Rudy had did mention many, plenty of times that he could get a pardon for the right price because of his relationship, backdoor channels, and so on and so on like that. One meeting in particular I remember when uh, Rudy came. It was I think uh, lunch we were having. And he came with Noel, and they were very. He was very giddy at the time. Uh, they were discussing ways of him making more extra money because he was going through his divorce with Judith, and uh, he needed money. And uh, so, the a lot of the conversations there was a conversation about maybe him doing a podcast. And then he all of a sudden he mentioned to look at us and said, basically, if you know anybody that needs a pardon, I could get it done for the right price. That's what I remember. I, I remember exactly a $2 million price or $1 million, but it was, uh, as far as my memory recollection is, I think it was for the right price. Do you know the names of any of the folks that may have spoken to Kaludi or Noel that she might have brought uh, you know, to Rudy in regard to the pardons? I'll tell you, there were a lot of pardons that went out of this pardon office over the, you know, the period between which Trump lost the election and ultimately 
left the White House. And a lot of these people weren't even in the system. Now, interestingly enough, in this specific case, this all, of course, took place around the time as well of January 6th, the insurrection at the Capitol. And one of Jared's lines to investigators was, I had nothing to do with January 6th. I wasn't even there. I was busy working on pardons. Now, somehow, the secretary of everything becomes on top of everything, the guy who's doling out pardons. And there were a series of people. Look, one guy who I was with in Otisville, who had, I think it was like a seven-year stint, he ended up getting a pardon from Donald Trump. I mean, I don't understand it. Um, I don't understand how it happened. There were allegations that it wasn't two million, but rather three million that was paid. Um, you know, two to Kushner, one to Trump. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of allegations that are being thrown around. There's also a gentleman from Florida, Esformis, who also received. I mean. There's a lot of these allegations that are floating around. You know anything about any of them? I mean, it's funny that you mentioned Otisville. It's a place that we both <laughs> have in our background. Uh, while I was serving my time at Otisville, I was serving time with a couple of guys, and one that was very close to a gentleman named Hunter Duncan, uh, the ex-Republican congressman out of California. And it was brought to my attention that Rudy was the one that intricate part that got him that part to Trump. So that's one name that I definitely know that uh, was brought to my attention that Rudy got. And I know Rudy doesn't do anything for free. So, I mean, it just depends on who you are as as your price tag and how much you're going to pay. And you know what? How much more time did he have, if you know? Because, you know, you have to have have less than 10 years in order to be at Otisville Satellite. I don't, well, he wasn't at Otisville. I don't think he was even uh, serving time yet. I think he just got uh, uh, sentenced. I'm not sure if he got sentenced or he just started. It was a, a big case, him and his wife out of California. And uh, he got sentenced, I don't know if it was for four or five years, three years, something like that. And uh, he got pardoned by Trump <sighs> with Rudy Sell. Well, listen, it's, I'm talking about abuse of power. But as part of this lawsuit, the filing, um, Noel Dunphy's lawsuit included... And this is, to me, just, it's right out of the movie Borat, right? The (laughs) allegation that Giuliani, and I'm going to quote from the suit, often demanded oral sex while he took phone calls on speakerphone from high-profile friends and clients, including then-President Trump. Do you know anything about this sick, deranged son of a bitch's actions? I mean, hanging out with Rudy was like, living in a fucking movie like Borat. I mean, uh, anybody that knows Rudy, I mean, not knowing Rudy going back 10, 20 years, I'm talking about Rudy going back through the Trump era, uh, would know that it's a guy that wakes up and drinks, goes to sleep and drinks, uh, takes a lot of different pills, and the combination is not good. I mean, there was I saw a lot of different things. I mean, that uh, I could tell you I wasn't in the bedroom. I didn't see him actually uh, asking her for oral sex, and I think it's disgusting. I mean, if you read the lawsuit, I mean, the things that uh, are alleged there, the things that he did, and she has tape recordings of, are just sick. Uh, what's it called? But I definitely know that Rudy had a, a 
kind of uh, one of those, you know, like a chip on the shoulder when it came to Trump. He yep. wanted that to be like that. I think it was always because he never won the presidency. He never got the big seat and he didn't want to lose the fame. And so I could definitely see him, you know, in that role because he that was one of his M.O.s when it came to women. He would use his power to try to influence them to be able to uh, for them to either I mean, even an interview, if you weren't a pretty uh, lady, he wouldn't give you an interview. He only liked to give interviews to pretty ladies uh, when it came to, you know, reporters and stuff like that. Uh, I would see him constantly around the Trump Hotel uh, in Washington, D.C., uh, taking pictures with uh, primarily females, you know, and making faces and smirking in the background, making comments about their breasts and their, you know, ass and all that type of stuff. So. I mean, I wasn't in the bedroom, so I can't confirm what he actually did. That was something Noel has to, I, I think she has recordings of some of the stuff, so we'll see what comes out. But I can tell you that definitely I see Rudy uh, being uh, slimy like that. Yeah, I mean, I see Rudy having some serious trouble when it comes to this. You know, in 2017, I spent quite a bit of time there in D.C. going back and forth to the Trump uh, old post office. And I would see him sitting on that couch in the far in the right. far left corner as soon as from the, from the entrance. And he would sit there. He would start the morning off with a bottle of Chardonnay. And by the time he finished that... He would go upstairs, he would come back down, there'd be another bottle of Chardonnay. And then ultimately, when I would come back, I would see him sitting in the same space, maybe a different couch, and there'd be a bottle of scotch there. I mean, I'm not sure if he ever even moved. It was other than, you know, other than moving his mouth or his arm to bring, you know, the glass up to his mouth filled with either the Chardonnay, which was up until like three o'clock and then five o'clock, you know, hey, it's scotch time. But one of the interesting things also that I find so reprehensible by Rudy here is, yeah, he also asked, obviously, her, according to the complaint, that he was selling pardons for $2 million if she knew anybody that was looking for a pardon. But the part that I thought was the most despicable, showing the abuse of power, and the fact that he knew how the system works, that anybody seeking a pardon from him could not and should avoid what they called the normal channels of going through the office of the pardon attorney, right, which, of course, is part of the Department of Justice, because those additional or other documents which would have been filed by someone interested in a pardon would be subject to public disclosure. That, I thought, was by far the most fascinating part. Not, of course, you know, the whole allegations of the sexual (laughs) assault. That's a whole nother level of just, you know, of just fucking gross. Especially, you're talking about a guy that waddles like the penguin from, like, Batman, the first movie. I mean, the the thought of Rudy, it's almost as ugly and gross as the thought of Trump with Stormy Daniels. So this, though, when it comes to the selling of pardons, for both of us, we have a real, I, I have a real issue with this where people who do not deserve anything that abuse the system, what it does is it flies in the face of the notion that crime doesn't pay. And I say bullshit. Some of these folks, you know, stole over a billion dollars to pay two, three million dollars for a pardon, not to do your time, to get your life back, to have no felony conviction next to it. 
it does show you that crime does pay. Oh, I mean, but that was Rudy's MO. I mean, everything he did when it came to uh, doing anything was backdoor channels. I mean, even the shadow diplomacy he was running with Ukraine. I mean, even if we would go visit the White House, we wouldn't go through the main entrance. We would go through the back entrance. I mean, everything Rudy did basically was, you know, he even made a uh, comment to me one time. Uh, they don't like me too much in the White House because uh, I'm, his pre I'm the president's lawyer. So when I come in, everybody has to leave the room and, we have, and we're one on one. So nobody knows what we talk about. So I can get things done. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Did you ever meet... Noelle Dunphy when she was working for Rudy and if Absolutely. so you did right what oh, do you yeah. remember what do you remember about her oh I, I met Noelle uh, plenty times I mean uh, the first time I think I met Noelle was sometime in February uh end of February we were supposed to go play golf with Rudy at Trump International in Palm Beach and we were there and all of a sudden when we walked into the cafeteria or the dining area uh, there was a female sitting there. I think she was wearing a red dress. It was Noel. Rudy introduced her to me as uh, she was doing an interview that day for a job that Rudy said. Uh, then we went out to hit some balls. And next thing you know, she's uh, next to Rudy on a golf cart uh, joining us uh, at the golf course. And Rudy basically told, introduced her and said that she will be now working for him. I don't remember the exact title he said for her, but that she was going to be handling a lot of stuff and he was going to get her involved in stuff with us. And I didn't think anything of it, you know, that, you know, Rudy hired somebody, did no big deal. But then later on, after several occasions, I saw him bringing her to a lot of different events that had nothing to do with business. And, you know, and then ending up asking us to drop them off at a hotel. You know, I didn't see anything wrong with it. But, you know, I, I didn't know what was going on behind the, the closed doors. You know what I'm saying to you? I didn't know. I don't know. I didn't know if they what was going on. But later on, I realized. Did you ever get the feeling, issues. though? Did you ever get the feeling that there was something sexual going on between oh, I, the two was, of them? Was, well, Rudy then later on started bragging about it. So it was definitely, uh, it wasn't even feeling. Rudy started bragging about it later on in the relationship. I mean, to a point that one time. Uh, he was joking about, he goes to me, come with me today. We're going to go to Noel's mother's house. Uh, she, I'm going to you know, go meet the parents. Quote, I quote started laughing. Like, you know, they, you know, when you go marry somebody, you go meet the parents. We're going to go meet the parents. And uh, we went to her mother's house in Florida. And at the, uh, while we were having, I think, tea or coffee, dessert, uh, Rudy was nonstop bragging about what kind of great employee Noel is, what great work she does and stuff like that in front of her mother. But then there came a time, uh, sometime in the summertime, I mean, uh, I'm fast forwarding it to just to show you how ruthless Rudy was. And probably once he was done with you, they, he would go to an extreme to get rid of you and shut you up. And basically, uh, we were in New York, I think it was sometime right before September 11th, we were going to do some events with Rudy. And uh, he started mentioning to me that if Noel ever calls you, uh, don't pick up her phone. Uh, that's it. You know, uh, she's no good. She's uh, she's constantly bothering me. Uh, you know, uh, I'm going to shut her up and she's going to be gone. Uh, she started trying to trash her in front of me by telling me that uh, she was a call girl and that she had all, you know, all these. Uh, it went from being a good, honest girl and an right. employee to all of a <laughs> she's trash. She's trash. Yeah. Right. All That's of a sudden, right. It goes from she's a greatest executive assistant to now all of a sudden she's right. a call girl. Right. 
Mm-hmm. And the crazy part about it is just a month or two before that, uh, Rudy gave her, it was like basically she had control of his phone, his computer, his emails, even all his security would run around in the back of a complaint and say, what is he doing? Because there was two women he did that with. You. One was Noel and the other one was Maria Ryan that's still currently with them. But she was married at the time, so he had to play the game that she was just working for him and not, uh, you know, not having, but he was definitely having plenty of sexual relationship with both of them at the same time. I even caught him one time I was walking. He, he used to have an iPad and he would make the, uh, them go on the iPad and uh, address and uh, do sexual things. I caught, I was walking by while he was having, uh, I guess, a, a sex thing, sex thing or whatever you call it, where he, and I saw Maria Ryan naked in the background. I closed my eyes and I walked back, like sitting at the Trump uh, hotel. So, you know, uh, a lot of those claims that she's making, uh, she's going to have to prove, obviously, uh, what evidence that she has. But I could definitely tell you that that doesn't surprise me, no, being around Rudy for that time frame, knowing the type of individual he was and the way he lies. You know, it's one thing to say, you know, he uh, he's a liar because you think he's a liar. But you know Michael better than anybody, just like myself. When you know the truth, and guys like Trump and Rudy go out there and say, "Oh, I don't know this guy. Oh, I, <laughs> I didn't yeah. do this," and you, you, so you could see him lie without even blinking and not caring. You know that nothing, nothing is pure about that. But they could go to any extreme. You know, I think when I was walking down Madison Avenue, I talked about it on on this program. But I think it was like over two years ago. I was walking down Madison Avenue, and um, all of a sudden, I see Rudy walking with. Somebody who, to me, if I if my memory serves, uh, I'm pretty sure it was Noel. Walking down uh, Madison Avenue, they were um, heading probably back towards uh, his apartment, right? And all of a sudden, I see him because I'm literally walking straight to him. I had just come out of the park, so I was on uh, at the time home confinement, and I was heading back to my apartment, and I start yelling out. Oh, Kaluti, Kaluti, and <laughs> Noel sees me, and all of a sudden, you know, uh, I see her saying to him, "It's you know, like it's Michael Cohen, it's Michael Cohen." You know, just ignore him, don't even look at him. Just we're gonna walk right past him. You know, it's if that's the same, if that's the same person. But I was shocked because, from what I understand now, I mean, she's thirty years younger than Rudy, and. It's oh, that not didn't, like that didn't stop him. That yeah. didn't stop him. I mean, but he, why I did mean, it, why didn't it stop her? I mean, that's the part that I that I have problems with, and I am very anxious to see because from the information, according to uh, articles like in the Times or the Guardian, there's so much evidence that she has, you know, against Rudy, whether it's text messages, the recordings, which I think are going to be both disastrous for Rudy and hilarious for the rest of us, almost as hilarious as that Borat scene of him laying down with his pants open. I mean, that shit I find fucking hilarious, not because what he's doing is right, but simply because it's Rudy Giuliani, a guy who was once considered, right, America's mayor. Mayor, top lawman. Right? Could you imagine? But then again, it's typical for SDNY. They're all a bunch of fucking scumbags, as far as I'm concerned. 
you know, it's uh, uh, it's it's really sad to see yeah, some of the things, and it's outrageous to see some of the things there in the lawsuit. And I can't tell you why women, some women, do what they do, but uh, you know, just uh, my opinion is, you know, Rudy, uh, you know, the way he gets these women is by playing the power role. That he's this powerful guy. He has this power. I mean, he's the president's lawyer. I mean. He tells him, you know, he knows all the FBI people, he knows all that. So, you know, a lot of people get scared sometimes, you know, to go up against a guy like that and to, you know. And so I don't know what was in her mind or why she there or not. You know, she claims also that she was just coming out of an abusive relationship. That's another thing that Listen. I remember Rudy was supposed to be defending her in a case against either her ex-husband or ex-boyfriend, something like that. So I don't know, you know, Noel, I don't know her to that extent uh, why she allowed or did or was forced to do certain things or stayed as long or whatever the case, that's her. She's On her, she's going to have to, you know, explain it. But uh, I could definitely see, uh, you know, and I saw, I mean, uh, I saw some of the things shenanigans Rudy pulled. Like, I'll give you an example. I remember there was this beautiful uh, blonde uh, lady. Oh, I think she was in 40 years old, maybe late 30s. Uh, one day uh, she's there with her mother and uh, he introduces me to them and tells me that they're going to the Bush uh, funeral with us. He took him to the funeral to show off uh, that, uh, you know, and had her sit next to him at the Bush funeral where it was like nobody could get into. And then afterwards, we, we get back to the hotel. We were supposed to be going to the White House. It was the Hanukkah party and Rudy was going because we were supposed to meet with Trump to go over some of the Ukraine stuff. And Rudy takes her mother and her to the uh, to the White House with us. And here we are now standing at the White House. Secret Service comes up and tells us Trump wants to see us in the Red Room. So we're going to the Red Room. He takes them with us to the Red Room. And uh, by the way, that's something that's going to come out later. I have actually, uh, Igor did a Jesus recording of, of the whole thing in the Red Room, which uh, I have a documentary coming out that I'm sure people are going to be fascinated with in a book that when they see some of the stuff, because it's difficult to do everything in the one interview, as you know, or one, you know, column, or one, uh, you know, show. So there's a lot of stuff that transpired that people just have no clue of the way. But the funny part to it, I'll tell you this much, Michael, you'll get a kick out of this one, I'm sure. So we're standing in the red room, right? Uh, Rudy's giving her the tour of it. There was the Christmas tree was up there. And then, you know, he's telling her all these stories about, uh, you know, how he was there and this and how powerful he is. And, uh, you know, wooing her. And all of a sudden you hear Trump finish his speech. You hear him walking through the hallway behind uh, uh, the main hallway to the red room. And you hear him screaming, where's, where's Rudy? Where's my guy Rudy? And behind him was Pence and his wife, Melania, Kushner, you know, like a couple, you know, obviously Secret Service and some somebody else. So as they're walking in, we're standing out there in, the, in a straight line like this. It was me. I actually had my son Aaron with me that time. I took him there. My ex-partner Igor, Rudy, and the and these two female, this young lady with the, her mother, and she's standing next to him. And you could tell that when Trump, as soon as Trump walks in, the first person he dashes for is for this young lady. And he's like, and who are you? And Rudy's like, she's with me, you know, pretending that that's his girlfriend, even though she was not, never planned. I think she was even married at the time. So Trump, you know, starts saying, whoa, Rudy, you did really well. And starts looking at her. And then you see Melania come in the background and smack him in the back. <laughs> like, what, what are you doing? After that, picture time was over between all of us together. Melania wouldn't even take a picture with all of us together. That's why some of the pictures you see there was just Trump and Pence uh, with us, you know. So Look, I, I don't mean, hold was... I don't hold Dunphy 
accountable for this. It's an unequal playing field, as you just described, between between, um, her and Rudy, including with this other young lady and the mom that showed up. You know, it's something to walk through those gates. People don't understand. You know, it's something to walk through those gates. You feel like you're part of the history that, you know, you're in the White House. I mean, and it's not just exactly. that you're not, you're standing there with the president of the United States, despite exactly. the fact that it's Donald Dump, right? It doesn't make <laughs> a difference. But at the end of the day, it is an unequal. I don't hold her accountable. It's really, it's him. I mean, and Donald and the rest well, I agree of them. With you. I agree with you 100%. It's all him. I mean, and he knows it and he uses it because he doesn't have any way. Like you said, look at Rudy, like what? Why would a normal young female want to go out with Rudy Kaludi? You know, I, let's say I have no idea. He drinks nonstop. He drinks nonstop. He smokes cigars nonstop. He's a slob when he eats. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, you know, he's not uh, polite or anything. When he gets drunk, he starts doing talking nasty jokes. He all, loves talking about himself and the Godfather. How you know he admires the Italian mob more than he because they're men of power and men of uh, what's it called dignity compared to you know politicians. Which he you know it's incredible to hear some of the shit that comes out of his mouth after he has some scotches. And you know, but, you, but so let me let me ask you this though. Well, let me just jump in and ask you this, and I really want you to stay on that because yeah. As obviously he's known for going after the Italian mob, which was interesting considering I believe his uncle and another, maybe a brother, uh, were you know were right. part of the mob. But right. according to the lawsuit, we're connected, right? According to the lawsuit as well, Dunphy alleges in it that Kaludi often demanded that she work naked or in a bikini or in short shorts with an American flag on them that he bought for her and had her perform oral sex on him while he's on these business calls, including calls with Trump, uh, in which they were discussing sensitive information because it made him, and this was the quote in this suit, feel like Bill Clinton. Did you know Did you know any of this was going on when you were working with Rudy? Did she ever say or intimate anything that would make sense? Because here's the thing that's fucked up on top of everything. Forgetting about how fucked up this paragraph is about, you know, he's got the phone call, whether it's with the president of the United States of America as his personal attorney on speakerphone so that he could engage in oral sex with this young girl who's working for him, right? She's overhearing clearly the conversations. And so what if it's a matter of national security? I mean, not that Donald should be talking to Rudy about that shit anyway, but now you have a third person who, by the way, I don't believe she's a lawyer, which breaks the privilege in the first place. There's so many things Packed into this one paragraph. And then, and then to think that it made him feel like Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton will tell you that that situation with Monica was the worst mistake that he's ever made in his life. And not that she's a bad person, Monica, but as far as it destroyed his reputation, his presidency, he'll tell you it was the worst thing that happened. He made a mistake. Yeah. But but, uh, Rudy, I mean, look. Rudy, uh, I wasn't, again, in the room, so I don't know what transpired during the phone call, but I could tell you this much. 
I saw Rudy plenty of times speak to Trump on speakerphone inside the hotel, on the golf course, where there were people out at the Grand Havana room. He would be lighting up his cigar and put the phone on speaker while Trump was screaming or yelling in the background or talking to him. And then eventually he'd pick up and, you know, go away or try to walk away or something like that. So, I mean, uh, I don't doubt it for a second because that's Rudy's whole MO to be able to show power that, you know, he is closer, he was closer to Trump than everybody else, and that he had this power that, you know, him and Trump had this relationship where he listened to Rudy and nobody else, basically. So what Rudy said really goes, like he was just, you know, consigliere type, you know yeah. what I'm saying to you? Because yeah. Trump's Look, let me tell you so something when it comes to that shit. You know, Rudy was, I, I, he clearly was drunk or fucked up on medication if he thought for a quick second that Donald was listening to him because Donald doesn't listen to anyone. No, exactly. And no. You know, while Rudy was around him after my, you know, my extrication, I can assure you there was nobody, including Kaludi, that was as close to Donald as I was. And Donald, again, didn't listen to anyone unless what you were saying was in agreement. Right. That's with what Donald with, wanted. If you, if you didn't, yeah, if you didn't agree with Donald, you were out the door. I mean, he wouldn't even listen to you. There would be no conversation. And that's why him and Rudy got along because Rudy would listen to his shit and then go out there and perform it basically and go get whatever he needed done. I mean, from the Ukraine mess to dealing in Venezuela to then, you know, uh, at the end of the day, January 6th. And, and then afterwards with the elections, with the stop the steal. So, I mean, you could see it was a pattern of Rudy basically doing what Donald wanted him to do. And Rudy was all in on it and all for it. I mean, even prior to, and, oh, I remember in 2019, uh, when we were dealing with the Ukraine stuff, Rudy was getting furious that the media wasn't picking up on the, and, uh, the Biden stuff and they weren't going after the Biden. And he would make comments all the time that the only way Trump could lose the election is if uh, it's going to be rigged. If the Democrats do something, I won't let them do it. I'm going to stop them. Trump's definitely going to be our president. And then when we see what happens after 2020, you know, I'm saying to you, once he lost, all of a sudden, those words come to fruition. All of a sudden, that campaign, the election was rigged and, and so on and so on. And he went to an extreme that I think, uh, you know, uh, I look forward to this indictments come out in Georgia because I think that's going to be the final straw, uh, Rudy, I mean, the final straw that breaks the camel's back when it comes to Rudy's dynasty because I think he went way too far. He lied to, I mean, it's one thing lying to the media, which he has no uh, about lying to people like you and me, lying to females. It's another thing when you start lying to uh, officials who are, you know, under oath and stuff like that. Yeah, so look, and he you should said... know better. That, well, you're right, he should. You said on Twitter last week that there was a lot more to this story. And going, going again, it's back to the whole Noel Dunphy scenario. Can you do me a favor? Can you elaborate on what you meant by that statement? And ultimately, sure. what do you believe will be um, that Rudy will be charged with if he's ever indicted? What's your prediction well, on that? Sure. When I tweeted, when I put out that tweet, I didn't read the whole uh, complaint. And uh, it was just sent to me where uh, that one piece where uh, article about, I mean, the one piece in the complaint where it said about me being in a meeting when Rudy was talking about uh, pardons. 
So I didn't know that she, there was such a lengthy uh, complaint that had all that stuff. So that's what I meant by saying that there's a lot more to the story by what's happened with Rudy. Like, I mean, uh, what she talks about, you know, Robert Strike or Victoria Tunzing about Rudy going out there, hiding money behind Judas' back. I mean, <laughs> these are all, you know, criminal stuff. Look, at, she even told me, I spoke to Noel's lawyers, and uh, she told me that, that she has tapes of Rudy and emails of Rudy basically discussing the half a million dollar payment that he received from me, how he's going to classify it, how he basically he's going to hide it because so Judith can't get any of it. So, I mean, I'm also waiting to hear, see some of those recording and some of those emails uh, because she said that I, there's a lot of talk about me there, about when I got arrested, how he got very scared and was shaking that, you know, I'm going to turn and tell the FBI about certain things about him and told her to shut up, not to tell to talk to the FBI if they come looking at her. And that, I mean, that was typical Rudy, you know, that uh, I, I, everything so far that she's saying doesn't surprise me because I mean, it still has to be proven because obviously, you know, it's right now her word against his, even though there's a lot of stuff I, I could collaborate, but I think she has the goods. I think she has the tape recordings. I spoke to her lawyer and they seem pretty confident and they're going to go after him hard. As far as indictments, I think he's going to get indicted in Georgia about uh, trying to rig the election, uh, about uh, for, uh, bring, uh, setting up the false electors. I mean, you got uh, how many, eight or nine guys now that got uh, mm -hmm. immunity deals. Uh, they're definitely, I mean, uh, I, I think that's just going to start the windfall because I think other states are going to pick up because he did this not just in Georgia. Georgia was just the one where Trump, I mean, in his perfect phone calls, this guy is out of his looney to mind. You know, he makes a phone call, gets caught black right there, red-handed, and then all he tries to say was a perfect phone call, just like when he uh, did with Ukraine, where he tried to, you know, extort the president of Ukraine for the non announcing the uh, investigation of Biden's. Then he goes to Georgia and says, hey, you need to find me, what was it, 11,061? 11,780 exactly. votes, right? One more than I mean, what exactly. he needed to win. One more, I mean, and then, you know, he says, oh, you know, I was I was fixing corruption. I mean, the guys are as corrupt as they come. You know it and I know it. You know the saddest part for Rudy? The saddest part is all he needed to do is look to see how Donald treated me. How Donald allowed people like Kushner to interfere in our relationship and to throw me under the bus and, you know, just basically wash his hands of me. And obviously we've seen how that's turned out for him. But Rudy watched in real time as this was happening to me. Does he not understand that when it comes to Georgia that Donald will push him under the bus too. First of all, this notion that Donald and Rudy have been friends for years, that Rudy's been a confidant for it's years. Bullshit. Let me tell you, I it's was bullshit. there from 2007, really 2006, but not working for the company, all the way through 2017. Rudy was no staple in the no. office. If he was there once or twice because he was part of The Apprentice, that would be about it. The shit he used to say about Rudy was absolutely fascinating in light of the fact that Rudy ultimately became 
what I was to Donald, the personal attorney to the president. And now we're seeing after Kaludi is on the way out. Now he's got Boris Epstein in there. Boris Epstein was like a fucking lapdog that used to run around on the on the the, the um, campaign floor trying to I figure out that. how. Yeah. Hey Michael, can, hey Michael, can you take me upstairs? You know to twenty six. That you know to our floor where I, you know Donald yeah, yeah. was on, I was on. You know, can you take me up there? You know, can you put me you know with you in the, in the office so I could so he could see my face and stuff like a fucking lapdog. And now you see this kid who has no legal experience, no trial experience at all, forgetting. About the fact he has no criminal experience at all, sitting at a table when the president of the United States, the first president ever in the history of the United States, is indicted, you got Boris Epstein sitting at the table with Donald and whoever else the attorney was that was sitting there, who actually is qualified. To me, it's like, what do you think? You're going to intimidate Judge Mershon? By loading up the table with people? You know, do you think that Boris, because he's this big, slobby sort of guy, kind of like the way Takapinas is and so on, and even this guy Alejandro Brito, they all look exactly the same. They're all tall, heavy set, you know, stocky, big mouth kind of guys. All of a sudden, you think that this is going to intimidate Judge Mershon? If that's the fucking case, why don't you hire a bunch of the guys from the New York Giants front line to come sit at the table with you also? I mean, it's so stupid conceptually, ideologically, it's just so stupid. He he makes it's an stupid. asshole of himself. Rudy looks like an asshole. Yeah. You know, Boris looks like an asshole. They just all look like a bunch of assholes. Yeah, listen, they sell their soul, basically. I mean, uh, Rudy uh, needed uh, to stay in the limelight. He was going through a divorce, had no money. Trump, I mean, Trump peed on him, basically, right after the election. He promised him to be the uh, secretary of general or secretary of state. Yeah, secretary of state and then told him to go screw himself twice. Uh, He, I mean, hired his son to be somebody to show the walk around the White House and play golf with him. I mean, another character. So, I mean. It was all like giving it, throwing a dog a bone, and everybody around there would talk to Rudy and say that, well, if you have such a relationship, why did he do this or why don't you do this? But I think Rudy basically uh, sold the soul and was all in type of a thing. And, you know, I mean, he made comments like that. What are they going to put me in jail? Look how old I am already. Whatever I have left, I don't care what my legacy is. Like, I mean, he made all kinds of crazy comments towards the end over there. So I don't know if that was the pills, the alcohol. Talking, or if he was just losing it, but I mean, he didn't look like he cared too much about the legal system. He made it seem like we're at an all-out war, and uh, he was willing to do anything and it, it takes to support him. And look at even Epstein. I mean, you heard uh, I was watching TV a couple of days ago, maybe last week, that uh, one of Trump's attorneys flipped and started went on uh, CNN or somewhere and started saying that Epstein was trying to block them from giving uh from them searching Pal- for palatory like, yeah it was palatory, palatory. Yeah, for the fc was start trying to stop them from searching for stuff in new jersey i mean it was that's crazy i mean just think about the to the level of uh, criminality these guys go to to be able to uh to try to defend this guy and at the end it's the same old story you're right as soon as they're useless to him he doesn't know them he don't know who, he doesn't know who they are You know, they might have just been there for a day or two. They're not really there. And, you know, and it turns. It's the same story. And it's incredible to see. You're right. 
over and over and over the same story. It's like you know, it's like Groundhog's Day. But you know, I'm curious because you said that you know Rudy says a lot of stupid things, and you may remember you, we um, we saw each other at the uh, Trump International at the Trump Hotel yeah. in D.C. when you yeah. were with Kaludi and I was there <laughs> handling some other shit. Yeah. I'm curious about Rudy's drinking because you know I always call him Rudy Kaludi, drunken Giuliani. Because to me, he always seems drunk. I mean, I watched well, I, I watched him as he's knocking down bottles. I mean, I'm not talking about a glass. I'm talking about bottles. And Noel Dunphy said that Rudy was drunk most of the time as well. And that's when he would get really, really nasty. Well, when, exactly. you spent, when you spent time with Rudy, what was his relationship like with alcohol? I mean, did he get out of control at all in front of you? Oh, I mean, there was plenty of times that I had to help uh, security bring him up to his room, and I didn't even know if he was going to make it the next day. I mean, and uh, it would start off, I mean, uh, usually either with a Bloody Mary or a glass of wine, and then there, and off it went. But it always ended with the scotch, and there was, I mean, uh, looked like he could kill a bottle in, in a few hours. I mean, it would be nonstop, you know, pouring the scotch and having a cigar. It would be two, three cigars. And a bottle of scotch every night. I mean, so uh, he was, uh, and I seen him go on uh, the television. Most of the time, we'd be at the Grand Havana room several times. He's sitting there, already knocked up, there with his tie on, dog, barely sitting there. He'd get a call from either uh, Hannity or Laura saying they wanted him on. And next thing you know, he's like, "Oh, all right, time to go." And his handlers was were always nervous about him doing it. But Rudy didn't give a shit. Uh, basically, Rudy did what Rudy wanted to do. <laughs> you can't make this. You can't make this shit up. So something that a lot of people are forgetting is that Rudy is very much in um, the Dominion voting system case. I mean, people forget that that suit is still even pending, and that he is a named defendant in it. Oh, yeah. What do you think will happen with Rudy and Dominion voting? What do you think the the ultimate outcome will be? Because Rudy's got no money. A lot of the he, shit that's a, that's, he does, he's got no money. No. One of the biggest problems and one of the reasons that Rudy did the things that he did, whether it was with Ukraine or trying to get involved with the Arab Emirates or Saudi or whoever he could snag a dollar from under Giuliani partners, that was his shtick. That's what he wanted to do. I remember That's he right. called me and he said to me, I think that you should join Giuliani Partners, and that's in 2017 um, through the 2018 period before which I was raided by the FBI. He wanted me to come join Giuliani Partners because... But later later that's not... Yeah, because as the personal attorney to the president, he figured that he could use the relationships and parlay it into, you know, very significant um, contracts. What do you think will end up happening in that specific case? Oh, I think especially after Fox settled, I think uh, they're done. Uh, just it's a matter of either he's just going to get a judgment for billions of dollars. I mean, there's no way he could defend this case. I mean, he's guilty black and white because of most of the stuff that Fox got in trouble for was stuff that Rudy was feeding them. So, so I mean, uh, I, the, the end result is I don't know if he'll ever if they'll ever see money from Rudy because, like you know, and I know that he doesn't have a pot to piss in right now. I mean, maybe some houses or some property that got left over from his divorce with Judith. 
Uh, maybe they'll be able to take that stuff away. But I think it's going to end up very badly for him, especially, you know, with the criminal charges coming up against him and, uh, and Georgia. I think it's just the, the house of cards are caving in. I think all his lying, his deceiving, his playing, I think it's, it's you know, it's like that Ponzi scheme. That eventually, you know, the, the last guy ends up with holding, you know, musical chairs. The last guy without a chair. Rudy's going to get left out without a chair, definitely. Tell me He's something, gonna, because, it, I, you know, the, I was, I've was i been curious about this for a really long time, and it just dawned on me. So I remember there was a scenario where Rudy was telling people, because we have a lot of mutual friends and relationships, Um I remember him turning around and saying that Donald owed him millions and millions and millions oh, yeah. of dollars. Somewhere along the line, Kaludi, or I should change the name now to Rudy Stupidy, thought that Donald was going to pay him $250,000 a month for his legal representation. Were you Maria around Ryan for that? wrote him a letter. No, it was already after me. I was cracking up because Maria Ryan wrote the letter to Trump <laughs> saying you gotta pay Rudy <laughs> because he was well, he wasn't probably paying them because Rudy would always say I can't pay you because I have to collect it from here or do that. That was one of the reasons he was uh, hitting me up for money because he needed to make payroll, he needed to do this and stuff like that. So yeah, uh, I mean, uh, it's it was when I saw that two hundred fifty thousand dollars a month, I was I cracked up. I couldn't believe that he that she had the gall and the balls to actually send that letter to Trump. <laughs> and look at what happened. Trump told him to go school and stuff. He didn't even give him money for attorneys. He didn't, he didn't even, even give him, him out of pocket. He didn't even pay him his out of pocket expenses. Out of pocket, but exactly. And then he kept going on and is still fighting the fight supposedly. And it's crazy, Michael. I can't. It's unexplainable. I mean, but you know what? You know, it's, it's like that cult mentality. You, you know it. It's. Uh, I don't know what when you drink that Kool Aid. You know, but Rudy's one of the leaders of that cult. He's feeding that Kool Aid. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you, he's, he's pouring the Kool Aid. You know. So it's, I mean, it's, the whole thing was just. He didn't even pay him back his out of pocket expenses. And Kaludi's telling everybody, Donald owes me three million dollars. Don't worry. What I find the most fascinating is the fact that Donald was grifting off of his supporters' money Crazy. in order to pay Rudy's legal fees and other people's legal fees. And, and then not you know, pay it. And he didn't pay any no. of that. And that money's still sitting in that super PAC that he keeps 90% that he's got discretion over, which, by the That's way, crazy. to all of Donald's supporters that may or may not be listening to this show, excellent job in paying for Donald to repair his you know, antiquated yeah. seven, you know, 57 <laughs> aircraft when he was having engine problems because he's too cheap to have purchased what's called power by the hour, right? Which is every time that you fly, you put yeah. money away to yeah. pay for services and repairs. Yeah. So all these, all of these idiots that are putting money into this pack that Donald is controlling, he's using for his own discretion for his own purpose. And even though things like Rudy, who I don't even know where this 250000 when I heard that Don, that he stated that Donald agreed to pay him two hundred and fifty thousand, I was like, "Yeah, for three years, right?" Donald doesn't pay anybody two hundred fifty grand a month. I was saying to myself, "What the fuck? It's not a chance in the world." I said, "Rudy was probably heard that number right when he was piss ass drunk," but 
no chance in the world Donald's going to pay anyone 250,000 shit. <laughs> I remember when we were doing, when we were setting up the campaign 2015 and we were looking for a campaign manager, a couple of the guys came in. They wanted 250,000 because they never thought the campaign was going to get off, you know, off right, you know, the starting exactly. line and they wanted to make money the whole bit. They'd stay for six months, make themselves a million and a half, whatever it might be. The reason Corey Lewandowski became the campaign manager is because he ended up accepting $2,500 a month, not $250,000 a month. When I heard I that, I almost fell off my chair and saying, boy, Rudy really needs to dry out. He needs he needs no. some rehabilitation yeah. center. I, uh, one of the things is, I mean, uh, you can't make the shit up that happens every day in Trump world when it comes to Rudy and Trump. When I saw that he was suing you, and Florida, 500 like, mil. Like, 500 million dollars. I was like, here come the deposition. Michael's going to have a field day with this one. I mean, already like, I already mean, filed the demand. I saw it. I mean, just think about that. What kind of advice can lawyers give him? I mean, just to think about it, to discuss things <laughs> that he he got away. He got away with it by not getting indicted by individual one in your case. And now he wants to open up the whole can of worms. For it. I mean, it's incredible. Did you see the deposition, the t the recorded deposition, when he was um, questioned regarding the E. Jean Carroll? Could could you imagine that this guy was actually president of the United States of America? He couldn't identify his wife, Marla. <laughs> I mean, it it was stumbling, bumbling stupidity, all smashed together in just a deposition of idiocy and you could only imagine what's going to happen in my deposition with with him when we're going to start talking about all the fun shit and watching him stutter and lying and so on because donald doesn't know how to tell the truth but you know let's turn now to your relationship with florida governor ron DeSantis because i know that you had a real relationship with him as well and you recently tweeted out, and I'm going to quote, I considered Ron DeSantis my friend. He assured me that he was different from other politicians. The truth is he's not different. He's maybe even worse. He's willing to lie and do whatever it takes to win. First off, if you can, tell me what was Ron DeSantis lying about? And more importantly, why? I mean, he would lie about a lot of things. First of all, he lied uh, about my relationship with him. He lied to me about telling me I was going to be on the transition team and then tried to walk away from it. He lied to uh, his, a lot of the supporters and, and uh, donors when I was with him in meetings, when he would tell them what they wanted to hear, when they would come up to him and tell him, oh, I have this company and I'm looking to do this or he, you know, and stuff like that. And he would agree and then turn away and, and just walk away like it never happened. And then they would be calling me and telling me, well, try to get a hold of him after they gave him the money. He wouldn't respond to their calls. I mean, the one of the things I saw about Ron that I think he's more dangerous than Trump, for instance, is with Trump, he, he's allowed loud you see, you see what you you know what you're dealing with. He's coming at you full force. With Ron, he's like a snake in the bushes that's just waiting to attack. He's a chameleon. He'll play along. He'll 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 play nice. He'll pretend. He'll do what it takes until he gets the reins, get the power. Look what he did in Florida. Look what he's doing with Disney. He's like a dictator. You know, uh, nobody could stop him. He does whatever he wants, and that's type of uh, you know the type of uh, person Ron turned out to be. 
that wasn't Ron when he was courting me to uh, give him money or to work with him or to help him and do stuff like that. When he was with me, he was playing all nice and telling me that, oh, other politicians uh, lie and they don't keep their promises. That's not me, Lev. You know, I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to be a leader. And that's another thing a lot of people don't realize. But Ron in Florida was just a stepping stone for him. Ron's intentions was always the White House. What screwed Ron up right now is that Trump lost 2020. They were convinced, Ron was convinced that Trump was going to win 2020 and that he was going to hand over the reins to him. He wouldn't have to fight with him in 2024. When January 6th happened and he lost 2020, uh, Ron Ron had a lot of thinking to do about, the, that's why it took him so long to even join the, the fray because he would, you know. Yeah. So let me ask you this then, because DeSantis is officially now running for the presidency, right? Made his yeah, announcement, he's, he's officially yeah. running. Now, Having yeah. known him personally, which you clearly did, and witnessed his behavior, because there's something very fucking off with him, whether it's using his fingers with the chocolate pudding, the weird laugh yeah. that he got. Yeah. I saw a video, and I know that it's not AI because it came from a news, um, a news agency uh, there, uh, wherever he was stumping. He sneezed in his hand. You see him looking at his hand, you know, and it was like, obviously you can tell that it was a wet sneeze and he actually wipes his hand on the back of some unsuspecting guy on his suit jacket, patting him on the back saying, you know, thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. The whole bit. He fucking sneezed in his hand and wiped that shit on a guy's fucking suit. I mean, his behavior is odd. Do you think that he has the ability and the support to forget about beating Trump? How about to beat anybody? No, I mean, I can't even imagine him, uh, let alone being president. I can't imagine him being on the world stage. And can you imagine him dealing with, uh, you know, this the war that's going on in Ukraine, dealing with Putin, dealing with Zelensky, dealing with Xi and China? I mean, I I can't even imagine... uh, uh, the way Ron would even, he has no personality. I mean, uh, most of his personality and the nice stuff you see is basically worked up by his team and his wife, Casey's, which she's a wonderful lady. You know, she's a, you know, I have nothing bad to say about her because I think she's great. And I think she's basically running the show behind the scenes with Ron. I think she were, she's the one that wears the pants in that relationship and that, you know, and tells him what to do. Yeah, look, I don't know much about Ron DeSantis. Some people say he's very loved in Florida. Other people fucking hate him. You know, I, I, I don't see, I don't see the love for him in Florida, but I do want to turn around and he, he had he had that he had that moment. Yes, he caught the he got he got lucky. He got lucky because when COVID started going away, and he was uh, he was pushing or started opening up Florida. And what people don't realize, it wasn't so much uh, that people were running because of Ron DeSantis. People are coming to Florida because it's beautiful here. Because <laughs> you got nice weather, you got nice you got tax less taxes. There was other reasons why people were coming here, and he took advantage of that. But now he's basically destroying Florida. I mean, you can't rent a house in Florida. You can't. I mean, the prices are all over the place. He's uh, killing certain companies. He's using his, uh, like, look what he's doing with Disney. Disney's one of the biggest companies, if not the biggest company in Florida. Yeah. They just canceled a billion-dollar extension because Ron, as a personal And so they're, so they're going to take it to California, which is what a company exactly. should do. But I want to talk about you personally for a second because I read in Variety 
about an upcoming documentary, and you mentioned it before, uh, about you, entitled From Russia with Lev. And it's done by Billy Corbin, who, uh, you know, to those people who don't know who Billy Corbin is, he's the maker of Cocaine Cowboys. Fucking amazing, amazing uh, director, great. producer, the whole nine yards. Yeah, Alfred. Tell me if you would. What can people expect from that documentary and what story does it tell? It's going to tell a story about how abuse of power, uh, that uh, how Trump used the White House uh, for his own advantages, to uh, how Trump and Rudy uh, had a shadow diplomacy going on. It's going to tell a uh, story, uh, stuff about the uh, meetings and uh, individuals and uh, phone calls and stuff where a lot of people didn't get to see uh, because uh, the way Trump changes the news cycle, I mean, even during his impeachment, uh, I mean, 90% of the stuff that uh, happened in Ukraine and uh, the, the, the people that were involved, I mean, people don't know that from Pence to Perry, uh, what, what all their roles were and what, so, you know, a lot of the people that went to testify uh, lied in front of Congress. I mean, so there's going to be a lot of interesting stuff that comes out there. Uh, and like I said, it's not just going to be my words, but uh, Billy and Alfred are great. Uh, and uh, we have uh, McKay uh, from HBO also producing it. And uh, uh, they did their you know, diligence and, as you called, made sure I had all the receipts before we ended up doing it. And I think uh, you, you're going to be very surprised. At the, I mean, I don't think you'll be surprised because now we all know who Trump is and we understand what transpired. But I think people will be shocked to see to what extent some of the things transpired and to what extent they went because of, I mean, not even just Ukraine, but uh, what happened in Venezuela between Maduro and uh, Guaido and certain meetings and certain phone calls. I mean, the way Trump met Erdogan and certain things about what happened between the Turkey relationship. So there'll be a lot of things that, that haven't even come out or might have come out snippets during the years that the people, uh, public will be able to get a see and really understand how Trump ran his White House uh, like a mob boss and not like a president of the United States. And when is this supposed to come out? Uh, I think uh, sometime uh, they're planning on after the summertime. I don't know exactly. Uh, I, I'm waiting to hear myself, actually, uh, actually, because of some of the stuff that transpired. Uh, they're going to add to it also. Uh, the, so there's some uh, interesting Hunter Biden stuff that's going to come out in there, that what transpired with uh, the computer. Some truth about, so that's actually know, the stuff. that's actually the last question because you know the hour goes by quick like the first time that we yeah. had a, the hour goes by yeah. quick. I want to talk to you about yeah. that. Um, what do you know about that computer? And I'm going to just preface the conversation though with the question by saying it's extremely interesting to me knowing the group of animals that they are. That if there was anything in that computer that was damaging or even remotely damaging to Joe Biden, not to Hunter Biden. Look, videos of him naked having drug binges with prostitutes and so on. My heart goes out to him, his family. We, yeah. we all know people, unfortunately, right. who suffer from drug addiction. But that doesn't translate to Joe Biden. If there was any information in that computer as 
Trump continuously talks about, as Jim Jordan continuously talks about, as Rudy continuously talked about, and so many others. Don't you think they would have leaked that information already? What do you know about that whole scenario? And tell me if you can. Did they fuck around with the computer? Did they drop shit, you know, into it? Is it, is it legitimate? Is there anything legitimate about that? Al- the allegations about the computer, the hard drive, and so on? I, I could tell you this one. I can't go too deep into it because there's a, a special television special that's being worked on right now about that whole scenario that uh, is going to come out probably very shortly. But I could tell you this for your fans and for the, your guests and for the public that you're 100% right. I mean, if there was stuff on, Hunt, on the Joe Biden there, uh, you could compare it to the same way as the election was fraud. If there was, if there was actually a rigged election, we would know about it. There were there was too many Republicans, too many people involved that, that know that it wasn't. Same thing here. Uh, there was a lot. Of, uh, they use accusations and they use conspiracy theories, like J- Jim Jordan is, uh, and Rudy Giuliani and these guys. I mean, they're they're specialists. Devin Nunez, you know, I mean, these guys they take a conspiracy theory and they think if they scream loud enough and they keep saying the same thing over enough that if they keep saying something is black and white long enough, you'll eventually just get tired and say, okay, maybe it is black, you know? Well, you know, yeah, I mean, you, you know, understand. that was, that was created by Stalin, right? That, you know, exactly. you repeat that's, the lie and, over and, and Trump, over until that's, it, Trump's MO. that's right. Until it becomes the MO. truth. Exactly. exactly. Because, and then, and they use their power because uh, people normally see guys like you and I that lived in that world and, closer it's easy for us to understand and, and realize uh, how their lives are building and who these people are and that the regular people just like a guy a taxi driver in the street they have their own opinions their own lives their own this but to a, a layman individual somebody sitting at home watching tv they say oh this guy is the head of the judiciary committee oh this guy is the president of the united states oh this guy is the lawyer they can't be lying if they're saying it's on tv then it has to be true uh, so they use that power and influence to basically promote their conspiracy theories and their lies. But I think um, a lot of people are going to get shocked to once this. Uh, well, I'm going to make a fa- I'm going to make a fast prediction on it. Just knowing Trump and these animals and having been accurate about virtually all of the, um, you know, all of my predictions from if he loses, there'll never be a peaceful transfer of power. Said two and a half years. Right. Before, as well that. as That's half right. a dozen other you know, things about Trump and Rudy and this one, that one. I don't believe that there's anything on that computer. And I know that if, in fact, if there was knowing the animals that they are, that they would use anything in order to discredit the Biden administration in order to show that the Biden crime family that they keep calling them, you know, is weaponizing the Department of Justice against critics, meaning Donald Trump. It's funny how that motherfucker stole, right, the title of my book, right, Revenge, how Donald Trump weaponized the United States Department of Justice against his critics. He stole my my headline. He stole my book cover and absorbed it as if it was his own. And I can assure you, unlike me with my book where I put all the documents out there and show how he weaponized the Department of Justice, 
I don't believe that they're going to find anything. And I'm pretty sure knowing Rudy and the way Rudy operates, this whole thing is as fucking fugazi as, you know, as, you know, only Rudy can create. But I'll tell you this much. Uh, you'll be shocked to hear some of the stuff that comes out about what transpired with uh, Hunter and uh, and stuff like that. and what To what extents they went to to try to, uh, you know, destroy a person and destroy a person's life to just to be able to win an election and to hell, be able hell, to... I, I, do, all about I hate to say it, Lev, I do know. You know I've, yeah, I've, I've, lived, know I've lived it and so are you. Yeah, Listen, Lev, I yeah, hope yeah. that you and the family and everybody, all right, um, you know, you be safe. That's the most important thing, especially, you know, with all of these crazy people that are out there. So you be safe, stay strong, you know, keep doing what you're doing, keep telling the truth and keep putting all this information out there. You got a great guy in Billy Corbin. I'll tell you that I'm looking forward. And so should my listeners. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'll see you soon, my friend. And now for today's mea culpa. In thinking about Ron DeSantis, the idea of that stiff-necked shit stain as our president terrifies me more or equally to a second Trump administration, which is completely and totally abhorrent as well. The difference between these two is that DeSantis actually believes the shit that he spews out of his mouth. For Trump, it's just expediency, power for the sake of power. But Trump, in his dark heart, is a nihilist. The man believes in nothing. But Ron DeSantis believes that what he's doing matters, that he matters, and that we all need to get in line. Last night's news came out that the state of Florida banned the speech given by the beautiful and talented Amanda Gorman at President Biden's inauguration. The hill we climb was a plea for national unity, as well as a portrait of success against all odds. The legal action comes amid a push by DeSantis to allow the censorship and challenging of books based on whether they are appropriate for children in schools. The fact that this is possible is fucking insane. That in the year 2022, 2023, and so on, that we're going to live in a country that bans books and speeches because they make some redneck piece of shit uncomfortable about the fact that they're fucking racist. I mean, this whole thing just makes me sick. And that's what we're getting with DeSantis. He's going to try and legislate what we read, what we think, and who we can love. Well, not in my lifetime, folks. I will continue to speak out. I will continue to talk about this again and again and again, hoping that we can knock some fucking sense into these rednecks that just don't understand the fact that we have grown as a society, that we are who we are simply because we appreciate everyone. And I appreciate you. And as always, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. Written by Jimmy Jelinek. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. 
Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa, nothing but the truth. <laughs>